at a campfire. You gather around as a group of kids and you're listening to somebody tell stories. They have their way of just bringing you into the story, don't they? Uh, if you could sit long enough to listen, that is. I don't know how you guys were, but, you know, my, it's, like, it's easy to lose your attention and go do something else. But, you know, uh, those stories have a way of drawing you in. Uh, stories are always interesting, and it's interesting in the sense that Jesus was the greatest storyteller. He had a way of drawing the crowd into a story. He told stories that were called parables. And that word parable is an interesting word because it literally means to throw alongside. Jesus would take something that people were familiar with, and he would lead them to a truth that they were unfamiliar with. He used this comparison to be able to teach people valuable lessons uh, that they didn't understand. And so it's important as we start this brand new series uh, called Storyline that we keep in mind parables were fantastic way to teach. Each parable that Jesus taught, it would have a central truth to it. It would have a, uh, you might call a moral to the story. Uh, it reminds me of this uh, elementary school that was out in the rural area. And the teacher came up with a brand new project for all the students. She said, I want all of you to come up with a story, and then I want you to tell me the moral of the story. Now, this is going to get interesting. When you have kids tell stories, you never know what's going to happen. So the teacher said, tell us the story, tell us the moral of the story. So the first girl was Susie. Susie stood up, and she began to talk about how her dad owned a farm. How on the weekends that he would, uh, they would take these eggs these, that they had, and they would put them in a basket, and they would drive to the market where they would sell it. But she said, when we were driving to the market, our dad, he, he hit the bump, all the eggs went out, and it broke. And the teacher said, okay, Susie, well, what's the lesson that you learned from that? And she said, well, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And so the second student was a, a one by the name of Lucy. Lucy said, my dad owns a farm too. And what he did, he took 12 eggs, he put them in an incubator, and only eight of them hatched. And the teacher said, oh, that's a good story. What's the moral of the story? She said, don't count a chicken before it hatches. <laughs> well, the third student was a, a very interesting little kid. His name was Billy. Billy talked about his uncle, about how he was in the, a plane during the war, and it got shot down. And how he parachuted to an island, and all that his uncle had was whiskey. That was it. They landed on that island, and he said that he drank some of that. He was surrounded by a hostile enemy, and he said that his uncle was able to kill all 12 of the enemy that evening. And the teacher said, wow, Billy, that's an incredible story. What's the moral of the story? She said, don't mess with my uncle when he's been drinking. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that when you get into these parables, that Jesus would tell. They all had a moral to the story. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus, he has seven different parables that he lays out in this chapter. And the thing that's interesting is that these stories, he would use them to teach these big crowds that would come and gather around Jesus. And the thing was interesting in this passage is that uh, these were specifically what we call kingdom parables. And you guys are like, well, what do you mean by kingdom parables? Well, Jesus was using these kingdom parables to tell about what Jesus' kingdom would be like between his first and his second coming. And the kingdom of God, whenever you come across that in scriptures, it's the idea of this. Because so many people are confused about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. 
Literally what it meant was that Jesus was talking about his rule and reign in the hearts of people that trusted in him and trusted the message that he brought to them. And so here in this passage, Jesus is telling a kingdom parable. So let's look into scriptures and get some context for it. Look at verses one and two. This is what it says. The same day went Jesus out of the house, notice it says the house, and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship, and he sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Here in this passage, it's probably the house, is probably Peter's house, where he had, uh, it was basically the center of his ministry up in the northern uh, part of Galilee. Where he would have been was probably the city of Capernaum, and when he came out of Peter's house, there was a multitude of people that gathered around to listen to Jesus. And there was such a huge crowd that he couldn't have people gather around right where he was at. So he decided this. He got into a boat. He set out from the shore side. And uh, the people would stand along the shore as Jesus would begin to teach them. Now let's read the rest of this. And I want to encourage you, give you the time to rest your backside just a little bit. Why don't you stand up with me and let's read through verses 3 through 9 together. I'll read it and you can listen. We'll make it easier for you. Verses three through nine. This is the parable that Jesus told to this crowd. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And, and when he had sowed, some seeds fell along the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell upon the stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up, and because they had no deepness of earth, and when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into the good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord, we pray this morning that as we get into your word, that you would take your word and apply it to our hearts. Lord, as there's many different types of soil that's represented in our church here today, Lord, we pray that you would do the work and prepare our hearts to receive this message. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. Jesus tells a parable about a farmer. Uh, the reason why this was going to be such a good story for them to listen to was this. They were very used to seeing farmers. They were an agriculture society, meaning that when people walked from city to city, they would see people that would be farming in the countryside. It was a normal thing for them to see. Now, if you'll notice in verse 3, Jesus said, behold. Behold there just means this. He means, look. So Jesus is, uh, he's in this boat, and he literally maybe, he points over to a certain area around the Sea of Galilee, and he says, look at the farmer that's out there in the field. In that day, a farmer would have this leather pouch that he would go, uh, that he had around his shoulders, and he would walk out into the field, and he would begin to stick his hand into that pouch, and he would take seed, and he would throw it out into the farm, onto the land that he had just tilled, the land that he had plowed. And that seed would literally fall into four different types of land. Some of it would be hard, and the seed wouldn't take root. Some of it would be just shallow earth and it would lodge in it and it would sprout up quickly, but then it would die when tough conditions came. 
The third type would be the type that sprouted up and produced the crop, but the weeds or the thorns would choke it out. And the fourth type would be the good land that would, the seed would go in and it was a rich soil and it would produce this incredible crop. How many of you have heard this parable before? All right, very good, good. All right, so uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to give you a big picture about what this means before we get into the passage. This, more, uh, this week, I, as I was studying through this passage, I learned some things I'd never seen before. When Jesus comes and he tells this parable, he, it's important to understand why Jesus told the parable. Uh, when he comes and he says that he takes the seed and he throws it out into the field, I told you this was a kingdom parable. What that means is this. Jesus was describing the way that his kingdom would come on earth. Now follow along with me. So when Jesus says that my kingdom is going to come like a farmer throwing seed out onto the field, you know what the disciples and all the Jewish people would have been thinking? That's weird. Who has a kingdom that comes like a farmer throwing throwing seed into a field? Nobody takes a kingdom that way. Rome, when they would go into a a place that they had never taken before, what would they do? They would come in with armies. They would come in with swords, with weapons, and they would take it by force. They would impose their will on other people. And when they would listen to Jesus saying that his kingdom would come like throwing seed out into the field, that was different. When, When Rome would show up in a city, you had two choices. You could either surrender or die. But Jesus' kingdom was going to be different than other kingdoms. Jews uh, thought that the kingdom, the Messiah, when he showed up, he would show up and he would take over Rome and he would sit on a throne and he would continue to rule and reign like a king taking over a kingdom, not like a farmer. So when Jesus came, there were no battles, there was no fighting. Jesus came like a farmer that threw seed out and his kingdom would be built on people that were responsive to the message that he brought to the people. And the reason why that's important is that the disciples, you remember one of their biggest arguments that they had with Jesus was this, Lord, when are you going to set up your kingdom? And Jesus was giving them a reminder that Jesus' kingdom, the first coming as Jesus came, that uh, his kingdom was unlike any other kingdom. His kingdom was built on people that responded to his message. It wasn't going to be taken with armies and warriors. And as he would tell this message to his disciples, they would be reminded of the fact that there's four different responses to Jesus' kingdom message. Jesus' kingdom would be built and his, between his first and his second coming would be built on people that respond to his message and respond to his word. Folks, don't you think it's important for us to understand that God still continues to build his kingdom on groups of people that are responsive to his word? Thank you for four of you. Uh, You guys are awake this morning. All right, let's try that again. God still continues to build his kingdom on people that are responsive and receive his message. There's four different types. And this morning as we start this passage, it's, it's good for us to be reminded of the fact that when we declare God's message, when we preach God's word, there's only four types of soils there are. And everybody in this room is in one of four categories, right? 
Now, I was, it was interesting this week as I was looking through the news. People are interested in the story about Kanye West. And you guys are like, some of you are like, who, who is he? Don't look him up. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like, I don't know a lot about him. But I, didn't, I noticed that in the news people were saying, you know, this guy, there's no way. He, he claims to have recently come to faith in Christ. And people are talking about it and they're saying, Man, do you know what he's done in his past? Do you know the things that he said, how he's exalted himself up and how he's, you know, he's been this arrogant person before? And people are like, there's no way he's a believer. Well, scripture-wise, the Bible teaches that when the word of God, the seed of God's word, meets a soil that is soft and responsive, that seed can take root and it can grow into fruit for God's glory. What that means is, is that the question is not whether Kanye West can be saved, because God can save anybody. The question is this, is that when the seed is planted in the heart that's ready and responsive, what kind of crop will it produce? And listen, folks, the kind of crop that Jesus is looking for is the type of crop that, that produces fruit. Listen, it is the responsibility of every believer to have this fruit that comes out of your life. Folks, that is the representation of once you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells the believer and literally the Holy Spirit, the characteristics of Christ begin to come out of your life and people say, it is obvious that this person is saved. That's God's goal for your life. Now, what I want us to look at is this, is that Jesus' parable literally serves as a thermometer to tell your spiritual temperature. This morning, as we get into this passage, I want you to ask yourself this one question. Which soil am I? Which soil am I? Okay, let's look. The very first one that Jesus talks about is a hardened heart. A hardened heart. Look uh, down at verses 18 and 19. What's interesting about this parable is that Jesus actually gave us an interpretation of what the parable meant. So we don't have to wonder about what he meant. Verses 18 and 19 says this. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. So notice that the seed is the word of God that goes out. It's the farmer throwing it out into the wayside. Now notice that uh, what you need to understand is the fields in Palestine, they used to be separated by the, in the fields, they were separated by these paths that they would walk down. And in Palestine, as the farmers would throw, this, uh, throw the seed out, they would walk along this path that people had walked on and that animals had walked on, and it made the ground so that it was really hard. It was like a sidewalk. Well, when you take seed and you throw it onto a sidewalk, what happens? It can't go in. It can't penetrate the hard ground because it's so hard. And he said that basically what happens is, is that Satan is like a bird that comes in and he snatches the seed away and takes it away so that it doesn't produce a crop. There, there's no fruit that comes from it. Now notice that he also talks about that uh, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not. Circle that word understandeth. It basically means, it doesn't mean that they don't understand. It means they won't consider it. They won't consider it. They don't try to understand. 
The problem for many people when you share the gospel or God's word with them is not that they don't understand, it's that they won't even consider what God has to say to their life. You ever met people like that? They have life figured out. They've decided to tune God out. They are unresponsive. And the Bible teaches that Satan literally takes the message away. He takes the seed so that it doesn't penetrate their heart and produce a fruit. The Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, it says this, Satan has blinded their minds. Folks, we're living in a day and age where people's minds are being blinded from the gospel. Their hearts have become hard where they won't respond to God's word anymore. Have you sensed that? You look at the news and you look at how people are living. The fact of the matter is, is that Satan is snatching the seed. And what's happening is that people are doing it because of fear of men. What will other people think of me? Some people will allow Satan to take the seed away because of their stubbornness, their, their unwillingness to change. Some people are, uh, allow the seed to be taken because they love their sin and they know that God would call them to deal with it. Some people are, allow the seed to be taken because they procrastinate. They think, uh, I'll put it off and maybe one day I'll come back around to it. Other people think that uh, maybe uh, the, they think of the pleasures of this world and they're just like, I just like the lifestyle that I'm living. But folks, this is the problem in our nation, isn't it? People are hardening their hearts. They become less responsive to God's word. And our prayer should be as a church, Lord, give them soft hearts. Some of you have family members. I've talked with you and you said, Man, I just have that family member. They just, there's something about it. They just so, re they reject everything about Christ. And how it breaks our heart to think of people like that. You know, it was un not unlike the people of Jesus' day. Jesus, his whole ministry as he went across Palestine, he was throwing out seed all over Israel. People had seen his miracles, they had heard his teaching. They had seen his life lived in front of them. He told them things like, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. But the people were so hard in their hearts that they not only rejected Jesus Christ, but they ended up crucifying him on a cross because of their hard-heartedness. Folks, let me just say this. Don't allow your heart to be hardened from what God would say to you. Folks, there's no other, I mean, it's a gamble of not just your, your life, but your eternity from hardening your heart to the message. You know, I was thinking this week, uh, I know many of you might not watch the World Series. I know I love baseball. That's just me personally. And then uh, uh, what happened between the series is that I was reading a story the other day that there's this man down in Houston that owned a mattress company. Did y'all see that? Uh, he owned this mattress company and he decided he was a big Houston Astros fan. And um, he made a really bad mistake. He decided he was going to take $13 million and he put it on the fact that his Astros would win. Yeah. I wish I had $13 million to invest. But uh, man, this guy, he took the $13 million, put it on the Astros. The Nationals won, by the way. And he lost it. He thought that he was going to gain around $26 million, and in the end, he ended up losing $13 million. What a gamble. 
And as I was thinking this week and thinking about the hard soil, folks, it's one thing to lose $13 million. That's a gamble, but you know what is a greater gamble? To harden your heart to what God would say to you and to lose out on your eternity. Folks, don't gamble on your eternity. If God's speaking to you, be responsive. That's why as a believer, you never want to harden your heart to what God would say, to what God would want to move you to do. Folks, God is calling us as believers to be responsive to his word, to not harden our heart to what he would have to say to us. Folks, amen? Be responsive. Don't gamble. Don't harden your heart. But the second soil that we see is this, a shallow heart. Look at what he says in verses 20 and 21. But he that receives the seed into the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and immediately with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by he is offended. This is the second type of soil. In Palestine, uh, there's rocks everywhere. If you've ever been to Israel, it's like literally every hillside, every place you visit, there's rocks everywhere. And so what would happen is, is that a farmer normally would take the rocks and he would remove it from it so that things would grow better. And what uh, happened specifically in this part is that in Palestine, there's a lot of times where you can't tell how far down the rocks are. And so this farmer, he would till the ground, he would throw the seed out, but because there was this rock layer and there was a thin soil on top, when they threw the seed out onto the ground, it would produce a crop quickly. It would sprout up immediately. And Jesus says, this is like the person when they hear God's message, they immediately with joy respond to the message and you immediately begin to see fruit in their life. It pops up, it springs up. This is a person that initially, when they hear God's word, they are excited about it. Have you, you know, like you think of a revival or you think of a camp. And what happens is, is that person responds to the message and they're excited about it for a month, for maybe several months. Notice that he says that it endures for a little while. This person didn't count the cost of being a believer. They quickly fall away. This is the shallow heart. It lasts for a little while. And folks, by the way, it's not that they got saved and then they lost it. Folks, it's revealing the fact that they never had it to begin with. That's what the passage is teaching. This person, they heard the gospel. It it took root in their heart. But listen, for whatever reason, their root of their faith was never rooted in Christ. It was rooted in some other reason. And I'll give you an explanation in a minute. But notice that it says, when difficulty or when tribulation arised, Jesus is saying this, folks, in your life, you're going to have tribulation. He's not saying if it happens. He's saying when it happens, this person falls away. You want to know the reason why people fall away that maybe initially had a decision He's saying that what happens is is that when tribulation comes in or when persecution happens, they ended up being offended by it. That word offended literally means this, folks. It means he stumbled. He was tripped up by the persecution or the difficulty. Have you ever met people like that? 
that they initially had this great response to the gospel. They were excited about it. They were fired up, but a few weeks went by, and as life caught up with them and a difficulty happened in their life, it knocked them out. They couldn't withstand it. And that's literally what Jesus was saying is that this person has no root. So when the fruit comes up and the sun begins to beat down on it, and when the difficult times come, there's no root to sustain it. And folks, that happens when a person is not a genuine believer, when their faith isn't rooted in Jesus Christ. They walked the aisle, they prayed the prayer, they got baptized, but it didn't last because it was not rooted in Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example. In John chapter 6, Jesus had fed the multitude. He had taken the bread and he had taken the fish and he fed about 30,000 people. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I mean, these guys are like passing out food here, here and there and everywhere. And the people were excited because they had never been, you know, around somebody that could produce fast food, you know, like this. They didn't have that. And so what happened was is Jesus passed out this food, and that night he decided, he, he decided to cross over the sea to the other side of Galilee. Well, you know what happened. When you begin to feed people, and they don't have to work for it, not that we've ever experienced, but then they, what happens, the people went around the sea, they went over to the other side, and they come to Jesus expecting what? Another meal. You're going to give us another meal. This is going to be fantastic, more fast food. And so they show up on the other side, and Jesus begins to teach them something from the lesson of the bread. And you remember what he told them? He basically said this. He said, I am the bread of heaven. You know what he was pointing about? He was talking about back in Exodus when they had gone to the wilderness, and the manna had come down from the sky and had sustained them. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, if you want to go to heaven, my kingdom comes by you. Uh, you have to taste of my body and of my blood. You remember that? And he's basically, the people stumbled at it. They were offended. And you remember what they said? They said, isn't this Joseph, son? We know who your mom and dad are. You can't be the bread of heaven. They were offended by it. They stumbled at it. They fell away. And one of the saddest passages in the New Testament, uh, John chapter 6, verse 66, it says this. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back, and notice these words, and walked no more with him. Folks, when difficulty and tribulation come, one of the benefits is that you know what you're rooted in. When you go through hardship in times like our church is going through, folks, you come back to the fact that our foundation is not in our circumstances. They're not found in stability. They're not found in good things happening to us. It's rooted in Jesus Christ himself. And folks, that is what a believer, they rest in the fact that Jesus Christ is their Savior. They don't come after him for just what they can get from him. They come after Jesus Christ because he's everything to them. Folks, that's exactly what happened in this passage. Folks, has Jesus Christ become your everything? Has he become the source, your foundation, what you lean on when times are difficult? Because when hard times come, you know what you're rooted in. 
And either you'll be able to withstand it or you won't. But folks, listen, when hard times comes, it's a dividing of people. Either you will be able to sustain it and push past it because you're rooted in Christ and you're his. Or listen, folks, what will happen to some is that they'll fall away. They can't withstand the, the, the problems that come into their life. So much so that, listen, they fall away. Not because they lost their salvation, but listen, because they never had it to begin with. You know, I read a story about up in Michigan. They had this huge ice storm that came in and it froze all their trees. And this one particular person, they took a picture of their backyard. They had these two birch trees that were in their backyard. And they noticed that when the ice began to form on both trees, they're both the same type of trees, both birch trees, both had ice formed on them. One fell over, the other one didn't. And they took a picture of it and they posted it on the internet. They began to ask the question, why is it that one will fall when the other one doesn't? And you know what they came back to? One had a root system that was strong. The other one had a root system that didn't exist. And folks, listen today. If you're a genuine believer and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you have a root system that is secure. You don't have to worry about it. But when troubles come, you can rest in that root that's grounded in Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry about what you face. You have Jesus Christ. That's as strong as it gets. There's a third root system. Look at this next one. So we've looked at a hardened heart, a shallow heart, and now look at a divided heart. Can I be honest with you this morning that this is the one that scares me the most about the country that we live in? A divided heart. Look at what he says in verse 22. He also that receives the seed among the thorns is he that hears the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh what? Unfruitful. This uh, is the type of soil normally a farmer would go out and he would clear out the thorns and he would clear out the weeds because he knew in order to have a good crop, he had to get rid of those things. And so what happens here is this, is that you notice that if you, have you ever pulled weeds? That's the worst job ever. I, I would clean, I would scrub bathrooms. I would do any job, but please don't put me pulling weeds. I know that's weird. That's just me. All right. And so um, the thing is, is that in this particular setting, these weeds, they grow back up. And so he talks about the fact that there's some people that when he throws out the seed, that both the crop and the weeds or the thorns grow up together and it ends up choking the crop and it ends up dying. Now, what he means by this is that this is a person that uh, they initially respond to the gospel they're excited about it. They begin to grow. And what we notice is that the world and the pleasures of the world begin to get wrapped themselves around their heart. The deceitfulness of riches begins to tell them, you don't really need to pursue Jesus Christ. Maybe you could go after a position or power or wealth or the things of the world. And what happens is, is that without even noticing those things begin to weave themselves around your heart and they begin to choke out your desire. Instead of pursuing the things of Christ, you begin to pursue the things of the world slowly. 
There's probably not a person in this room that can't identify or know somebody that's done this. They've fallen away. They're not in church. They're not involved with the things of God. This person has gotten caught up in their career. They're living for their position. They're living for their power. They're living for pleasure. And eventually, there comes a point where that person recognizes that they can't go after two things. It's impossible. Especially two things that are diametrically opposed to each other. And folks, that's exactly what it is. Do you recognize that today, that it is impossible for you to serve two masters? You can't do it. And folks, we're living in a day in our world and in our country where things have become important. We have more storage sheds than we even know what to do with. They're still popping up because we have more stuff to store that we don't even care about. And folks, we love those things and it's choking out our heart and our desire for the things of God. You don't notice that? Notice what happens during sports season in America. You're like, Ryan, stop talking about that. Okay, so, but here's the point is that this, is the fact is, is that you, it's impossible to serve two masters. Matthew chapter six, verse 24 says this. Let's look at it. No man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. And Jesus basically drew the line and said, eventually what will happen is, listen, either your faith and your love for Jesus Christ will win out, or your love for the things of the world and for riches and for pleasure will win out. Amen? Eventually, the choice will have to be made. The line is drawn. And the fact is, is that this person has a rival crop that has popped up in their heart, and they eventually, one will win out. A decision has to be made. That happened with, in the ministry of Jesus. You remember when Judas betrayed Jesus for what? 30 pieces of silver? You know, I can remember when my little girl, Addison, we were packing to go to, on a trip, and it was funny, she was getting older and she said, Dad, this year I want to, I want to pack my own bag. All right, it's going to be interesting, but go ahead, you, you start packing your bag. And so I noticed that she began to grab the things that were important to her. And what I realized is that in her room, all she had packed in her bag was just nothing but stuffed animals. I'm like, sweetheart, I know that's important to you, but that is not going to help you on a trip. We're going to be gone for like a week. Yeah, stuffed animals aren't going to help you. And you know what I found in, in our world today? She had all of this stuff wrapped around her arms that she wanted to take with her. And what I've found is this is what's happening with people today. They want it all. They want everything that the world can offer them, but they can't take everything with them. And folks, Christ calls us to a decision. In Matthew 6, verse 33, I love this verse. It says, but seek ye first what? Let's try that again. Let's do this together. But seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. He calls the believer to seek him first. And folks, listen, not second, not a close second, not even close to first. He calls for first place. Seek him first. 
And listen, we have a, a, a lots of people that, uh, that have the soil where the weeds have come up and they've begun to choke out their desires for Jesus Christ. Listen, folks, none of those things will matter. None of them will matter. You know, this week as I've been thinking about Brother Craig, one of the things that stirred my heart about him was he was an incredible soul winner. He would go out. I remember times where he would come into my office and he'd say, Ryan, it's been a while since I led somebody to Christ. And he said, I, I think I'm going to go down here to the food court and I want to share my faith with somebody. Man, that made an impact on me. He, began to, he would go down there and he'd begin to pray and say, Lord, would you lead me to somebody that I could share the gospel with? Folks, that's the heart of a person where the weeds of this world has not choked out his desire for the things of God. Folks, we need more people like that that won't just live for the passing pleasures of this world, but they'll say, I want my faith rooted in Jesus Christ, and I want to see fruit produced. That leads us to this fourth one. Look at this one, and we'll be done. A receptive heart. Look at verse 23. But he that received the seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some 30. This is a person that as the farmer would go out and cast the seed out, this was the heart that had been plowed by the Holy Spirit and was responsive. The seed would go down into the ground and it would lodge itself deep in the soil and it would produce a root that ran deep and pervasive and it would sprout out and notice it produced fruit. It said some a sevenfold, if you look back at the earlier passage. Hey, listen, folks, in Jesus' day, if a crop produced sevenfold, it was, in, it was good. But notice he talked about some would produce a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. What does he mean by that? Folks, that's supernatural growth. That's what Jesus meant by it. Jesus was saying that with some people, when you take the seed of God's word and their hearts are responsive to it, that that seed would go deep into the soil and they would never know how much crop would be produced. But listen, some of it, when it would, the God's message would sink deep into their heart, it would lodge itself and would produce a crop so great, so big that sometimes it would produce a hundredfold, sometimes 60, sometimes 30. It was supernatural. Folks, he's talking about the heart of a believer that receives the word and takes it in and begins to act on it. As a matter of fact, if you look in Mark 4, it says that he accepts the word. In Luke chapter 8, it says that he holds to the word. This is the person that they, they begin to cling to the, the, the seed that's been planted into their heart. And it begins to take root and they begin to see it act out in their life. But I want you to notice, folks, only one in four produce a crop. Only one in four. You're like, Ryan, what do you think it means by that? I think that a lot of times when we throw our seed out and we cast the gospel and God's word out, 
Only one in four. Maybe that's what it means. Folks, here's the point. When you're genuinely saved, fruit will come out of your life. You say, Ryan, is that true? Yes, because a person that receives Christ as their savior has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their life. When you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? Fruit of the Spirit comes out of that person's life and it's, you can see it. It produces a crop. For a believer not to have fruit is like McDonald's not having a hamburger. It's impossible. You're like, well, Ryan, what do you mean by fruit? Well, let me give you a couple things. Hebrews talks about that. Did you know that the fruit of your lips, that you worship God, that that is part of your fruit? Hey, this morning when you were worshiping and singing songs and you were like lifting up God and you were glorifying him and singing about his attributes, did you know that that's part of your spiritual fruit? You know that that's why we as a congregation, when we sing songs, we ought to sing, right? It's the fruit of your lips. It's a part of your worship. In Galatians, Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit. This is when you begin to live your life with the Holy Spirit and God begins to live out those traits that are like him through your life. For instance, Galatians says this, uh, it's love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. That begins to come out of your life, folks. That is the fruit that comes out from your life as a believer because of the Holy Spirit. It's also the people that are one to Christ are your spiritual fruit. Folks, that's the multiplication that Jesus was talking about. When he says some's a hundredfold, some's 60, some 30. Hey folks, let me ask you, do you have spiritual fruit today? You're like, Ryan, what do you mean by that? If you are a genuine believer, when God's word is preached and taught and you hear the message of the gospel, is your heart responsive to it? Do you allow the seed of God's word to go deep into the soil of your heart and allow it to produce fruit in your life? Folks, so many times we can be like the hard heart. It bounces right off and it doesn't do anything. Or we, we take the message for just a little while, but it doesn't last. Or sometimes we, 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 we take it in, but the cares of this world, they choke it out. Listen, folks, as a believer, God wants you to be responsive to his word. To take it in, apply it, live it out. John 15, verse 8 says this. Herein is my father glorified. How, how do you glorify God? That you bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Folks, it's his calling on your life to bear fruit. Not just bear fruit, but to bear much fruit for his glory. But listen, you have to give him access. You have to be open to it. Listen, folks, let me just kind of close it this way. Ask yourself the question, which soil most represents the heart in my soul right now? Is it hard or is it responsive? Are the, is the world crowding it out? Or is God doing something in my life? You know, one of my favorite movies growing up was Karate Kid. I don't know why, like uh, something about when he did that little position. I don't know like what that was called. 
Anybody remember? I can't remember. The Flying Crane? Is that what it's? What a great name. Like, I, I want to move like that. And so, um, anyway, not that I would use it on anybody. I got kids. Maybe. Okay, anyway. And so, uh, in, in the story of Karate Kid, okay, he, he does this little move. But you remember in the movie, his mentor was Mr. Miyagi. And when he would go into Mr. Miyagi's shop, Mr. Miyagi always had this bonsai tree that he was clipping away at. And Daniel always was really interested, you know, you know, what's the deal with the bonsai tree? And, you know, what I thought, thought was interesting is that most people assume that a bonsai tree is just naturally that small. It's not actually. As a matter of fact, uh, inside the DNA of that small bonsai tree is the DNA to be able to soar to towering heights. In the natural world, like if, when it's in the forest, they can soar to towering heights. They can be huge. But the reason why they're small is because they're put in small pots that limits its ability to be able to grow. You know what I've found in the Christian life is that so many of us, we could soar to towering heights if we would only be responsive and put ourselves in the environment to where God could grow us. We limit ourselves. We put ourselves in small pots. We don't put ourselves around good Christian people that would encourage us in our faith. We don't get involved in church. We don't uh, serve in ministries. We don't put ourselves in Christian communities. And as a result, we limit ourselves and our ability to soar to towering heights. But listen, folks, you have the DNA of Christ in you. You're like, Ryan, what do you mean by that? You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you that can produce a crop up to a hundredfold, 60-fold, 30-fold. But what limits us? It's because we put ourselves in environments that won't help us to soar to those towering heights that Christ called us to. Folks, listen, my prayer for Metro Baptist is this. Lord, would you begin to prepare our hearts to be soft and responsive to the word as it's brought every Sunday? Lord, would you take the seed of your word and put it deep into our hearts and let it produce a fruit for your glory? Amen? Let that be our heart. We're seeking you, Lord. We want your, your will to be done. We want you to take your word and plant it in our hearts. And Lord, give us a hundredfold. Give us 60-fold. Give us 30-fold on the return. Let's bow our heads and close, close our eyes. <clears throat> you know, I want us to take this time. Maybe you're here and you don't have any spiritual fruit because your heart has been hard to the gospel. You're like, Ryan, I, I've never really been responsive. I've never really trusted Christ as my Savior. Maybe this could be your day. This could be the day where you turn to him in faith. Listen, don't harden your heart to the message. 